basically believe in what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, we are bringing an end to our series on financial freedom, and we started out with uh, Pastor Dylan full of debt and loans and credit cards, like many of us, and then we transformed him into Gangsta Dylan. And uh, he has found financial freedom, yo. And uh, uh, we covered a couple of topics here, and because we uh, lost last week because of the storm, um, we've had to narrow this down. And so uh, the first one that we hit here, thank you, by the way, Ruben uh, Correa, for, for doing this artwork. You're, you're awesome. If we ever need to spray paint the side of the church, you're my man, brother. And uh, uh, we might coerce him into doing a graphic for our profit series as well, too. But, but debt is just real, man, right? And it hurts, and it's heavy, and we've been there, every one of us. And so we talked about it at first, that God wants to help us climb out of debt. He really does. And uh, one of the life verses for this is found in Proverbs 22, 7, where it says the borrower is slave to the lender. And every single one of us in this room knows what it's like where we're running with excitement towards something and the chain of the bondage of debt just pulls us short of that. And it's like, man. And so we got very practical with this. You know, we said, you know what? In order for us to, to allow God to be Lord of our finances, we need to be good stewards with what we have. Sometimes it's not what you don't have, it's what you do with what you've got. And so one of the, the steps here, we talked first about a budget. And a budget, we handed this out and we'd make it available to any of you in all of our services. If you missed the service, this is a really helpful, practical one. The podcast is online. You can listen to it at lolag.org or you can download the app and take a listen to it. But very, very practical too. And we talked about the debt snowball that what you wanna do is list every single one of your debts from least to greatest and you begin to just make your payments, but then once you pay off the smallest one, instead of saying, hey, I got 40 extra bucks a week now, you take that $40 and you put it and you double down on the next debt. And you continue this until it happens over and over again. So proud of a couple of students, Emily and Rob Barrel, um, who graduated and they just paid off over like, I think it was 72 months. They paid off like $76,000, right? Is that, yeah. And I was just like, man, they got serious with debt. And we talked about it. You want to get rid of debt, you got to get serious with it. That's the starting point there. And then we followed up and we talked about the deceitfulness of riches. You know what? It's so important that you understand what money isn't. Money isn't security because money can get wings and go away. I was talking with, uh, with someone recently and we were looking at the history of Germany. My grandmother came over from, uh, from Germany around the time of World War I, just, just up to and prior to that. And when World War I was over, people were eating bark off of the trees and they were heating their home by burning money because it was completely worthless. And uh, how many of you know the, the dollar is completely backed by a gold standard and it's incredibly valuable, right? Um, you just never know. It can be here today and gone to Maui and, and it, you have to understand that money is a tool. It's not security and it certainly should not be our God. It shouldn't be our source of happiness, contentment and peace. God wants to be that for us. And so with those things, we talked about how easy it is. And, and this verse right here in Matthew 13, 22 is so critical. And again, if you haven't heard this message, so important that you place money in its proper place, not on the throne of your life, but Jesus said it like this, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. It is amazing to me how many people who go to church their entire lives never experience the joy and the peace 
and, and everything that God has for them because they allow the, the riches of this world and the deceitfulness to get a chokehold on their peace, on, on their happiness, and it chokes out to where you can literally go to church your whole life and be completely unfruitful in the kingdom of God, your whole life. Because, and Jesus said it like this. He says, do not worry about what you eat, drink, or wear, for your father knows that you have these needs. And who, by worry, can add a single moment, minute to their life. I don't know about you, how many of you ever took away some life from you worrying about money? How many of you have ever woken up in the middle of the night panicking over your financial situation? Any hands here? I see those hands. I'm gonna put two up because it's happened to me multiple times and I'll, you know, each finger counts for a moment along with my toes. And I realized, man, I can't let finances be my source. God is my source. Money comes and money goes, but God is my source. And today, as we conclude our series, uh, we are going to talk about the topic of tithing. Now understand something. First of all, if you're a guest and you're here, uh, we, I don't think I've ever publicly directly talked about this topic in the three years that I've been here. I think it, uh, we are about preaching the full gospel. We're gonna talk about the prophets. I wanna talk to you in two weeks from now. We have Dr. Pablo Polishek. He is a PhD from Harvard. He is going to come here and talk about how to bring life back to your, to your waning marriage. He is also gonna talk about how to recover from the hurt of separation and even divorce. He has counseled more people than I know and he is more competent in this area. And I said, you can talk about this stuff in ways that I never could. You know, uh, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And some, some people have been on the receiving end of that and saying, how do I move forward? And then how many of you know that love is a flame and it can go out and it's hard to rekindle that fire and there are practical steps. So he's gonna come in and share with us. We're gonna talk about the prophets. We're gonna begin to look into the book of the prophets. But this financial series is the first time we ever talked about it and this is a rare occasion where I'm talking about this topic, but we're gonna talk about it. And this is a no-brainer for me because I've lived this my entire life, in my up seasons and in my down seasons. I believe it with all my heart. You are going to be assaulted with scripture verses today and you're gonna thank me for it. <laughs> but we're gonna cover, we're gonna let God speak here. We're not gonna whip out the gospel of shame, but we're gonna whip out the truth. And we're gonna let God's truth speak to us and you decide for yourself. Uh, if you, I believe that this church is filled with people who love the Lord and want him to be first and with that in mind, I'd ask for you to pray with me here this morning as we enter into this topic of tithing. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for all the wonderful things you've done here at Lowell Assembly in three years. We've gone from 150 to 325 people. Lord, we've added multiple staff members. We've impacted the community. We've started ministries like Grief Share. We've started Divorce Care and, and Celebrate Recovery, helping people overcome Father, just incredible struggles with addiction issues. You've helped us raise over $100,000 to missions worldwide. There will be people in eternity that will say thank you. I'm here because you helped that person get there where I was and you weren't. Father, we've been able to renovate this building and it costs money to do it and we're grateful for every single thing that you've done. But Lord, as we talk about this topic, I pray that you would just uh, help us to look at it very practical very honest and very real. And most of all, through your word, there's anything that is not of you, we don't want it. But if it's you and it's your truth, Lord, you call us to conform to it. And so in this rare message, help us to know the truth and let the truth set us free from the love of money in Jesus' name, amen. So what a crazy topic, right? 
Let me just get all the negatives out there right around, right? Number one, negative number one. God don't need my money. You're right, he doesn't. You know, so we, we could put there, how about this one? All the church wants is my money. Cynicism, sarcasm, right? I thought tithing was like in the Old Testament. Jesus set us free dying on the cross. We're no longer under the law, so it's no longer relevant, right? Or here's one. Tithing's not mentioned in the New Testament, right? Pastor, it's just totally irrelevant for me as a New Testament follower of Christ, and, and so um, we should just basically take a blade to the biggest portion of the Bible and just kind of move it aside, and we just have to focus on everything on the right side of the Bible because that's that kind of thing there. I'm in a lot of debt. God understands I don't have to pay tithes because I'm in debt, and he's gonna, he's gonna understand, and I'll get around to it. I can't afford to pay tithe. There are lots of things that we could throw out there and hopefully before this message is over, you'll be able to hear this and I'll have possibly answered some of those questions for you. I'm not gonna answer all of your questions, um, but I hope that through walking through this teaching and this truth that God will help us see scripture. We believe a, a Bible study in this church is very simple. We look at God's word and we ask three questions. How do I see God in this passage of scripture? Where do I see me in this passage of scripture? And how do I align my life so that I fulfill the truth that's being spoken here? It's really, Christian, you wanna read your Bible, it's really that simple. How do I see God? Where do I fit? How do I see me through you know who and the what and the where, when, how, why? And then how do I change my life to align with it? Everybody got a car, right? How about them front end alignments? Every once in a while, you just gotta align that car and so hopefully God is gonna align this truth with us here as we talk about it. In order to understand the concept of the principle of tithing, which we have not spoken about directly in three years in this church, you have to understand God's principle of the first. Let me just say something here real quick. Two of the mo- uh, one of the most influential people in my life recently on this subject is a pastor in Texas by the name of Robert Morris at Gateway Church. He wrote two great books. One of them is called uh, The Blessed Life. The other one is called Beyond Blessed. Another person who's spoken deeply into my life is a, is a man by the name of Randy Alcorn. And as you came in, you probably got that trifold flyer on the back. Two of those books are there. I, they can answer questions for you in ways I never could even begin to. And we're all individual people, right? You, some of you are gonna take this and you're gonna listen and you're gonna be like, man, that's total truth. I'm gonna impl- apply that to my life. You could listen to it and be like, nah, I'm not gonna do that here. We're not forcing anyone on anything other than just to examine the scriptures today and let God speak. And so what is the principle of first? To understand the topic of tithing, you have to understand God's principle of the first. Look at Exodus chapter 32, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse two. God says this about all the animals being born in Israel. He says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, it is what? God says, first child, first animal, first puppy, first sheep, first goat, first male, it belongs to me. It's mine, the first. And then in verse 12 and 13, he says this, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals and all the males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb, Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among 
your sons you shall redeem. Now what's interesting about this, I have a couple of people in this congregation who are language scholars. They're not just people who are familiar with Greek or Hebrew, but they're scholars. And they keep me on my toes and they force me to dig in. In fact, we've got one couple where one of them is a New Testament Greek scholar and the other one is an Old Testament scholar. And if I get this wrong, they will be sure to correct me on the side. But check this out. It's not that hard. I can explain it to you guys. In the Old Testament, it was written in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word for redeem is pada. It literally means to buy back with a ransom, right? To say, hey, I need to buy this back with a ransom. Somebody gets kidnapped, you pay the ransom, you get the person back. In the, in the time, about 250 years before Jesus was born, they translated their entire Hebrew Bible into the Greek language. And the reason they did this was because Greek became the strong language. I wonder if right now, uh, there was a time where Aramaic was the international language and there, for the longest time, it's been English. It looks like Mandarin Chinese might be a very relevant language, ni hao, for us to, to become familiar with because that's becoming an international dominant language. But Greek became very important, so they said, hey, we need to get the scriptures into everybody's hands. So if you take that Hebrew word pada and you try to say the concept of redeem, you would use a Greek word that's pronounced lutromai. Everyone say lutromai. It's basically saying in Greek the thing that you're saying in Hebrew, to redeem back. And let me tell you something, this is the interesting thing. God said the first to open the womb belongs to me, but then he says it about the donkey and any of the animals. He says, if you do not redeem it, break its neck. In other words, if it's not coming to me, nobody gets it. Now here's the interesting thing, a donkey is an unclean animal. There were clean and unclean animals, and a clean animal is a lamb. So in order for you to keep that donkey, you had to offer up a clean sacrifice, an animal, in this case, a lamb. And isn't that what Jesus has done for us? You and I, every single one of us, unclean before God. Not pure, not worthy of heaven, not worthy of Jesus. And he shows up and the Bible says it like this. John sees Jesus walking down to be baptized. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How many of you are grateful for Jesus Christ who takes away your sin? Like I could never have enough money to pay for it. I could never do enough good deeds to take care of it. That is what Jesus did. And in fact, that same Greek word, lutromai, is used multiple places, like in Titus 2.14, about Jesus and what he did for us, who gave himself, meaning Jesus, for us to redeem us from the law, all the lawlessness and to the purity for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says it so beautifully. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. Thank God for Jesus. He redeemed us, he bought us back, unclean, reconciled us to God. Nobody's gonna be in heaven walking like this saying, yes, I earned this, I was good enough. In fact, Jesus said this, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven before some other people because they understand it's by grace we're saved, through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, so that nobody can boast. Now the good that I do is an ongoing thank you card to Jesus saying, Lord, you've done for me what I could never do for myself. Because of that, thank you. I'm gonna live your truth. 
I'm gonna follow your commands. I don't promise to be perfect. I may make a mistake, but Lord, when I do, I'm gonna fall forward so that I'm closer to you from it and I'm gonna brush myself off. God knows what we're not just as much as what we are. The Bible is filled with God talking about firsts. Talk about Genesis, the first tree. God says, you can eat of all of the trees in the garden. That one is mine. Do not touch it. He talks about the firstborn that we just read about, but then when the Israelites are invading the land with Joshua, he says, I want the first. The first city belongs to me. When you come to Jericho, nobody is to take anything from it. The the silver and the gold from the city go to the treasury of the Lord. I don't want you touching anything in that city. Now, here's the amazing thing. From a perspective, I don't want to call myself an archaeologist, but somebody who's interacted significantly and, and, and uh, very much a lot with archaeology. Uh, there are some things that you can learn and see from it, and I want to show you a picture, two pictures. That is from the city of Jericho, and those are grain jars, and this second picture shows you up close a jar filled with grain, burnt with burnt wheat. Now, here's why this is significant. First of all, you're looking at proof of the, God, of, of the story of Joshua physically in front of you. The Bible isn't a long time ago in a land far, far away. This is actual. But here's the thing. The Lord said to the Israelites, do not touch anything in that city. Burn it. Joshua obeyed what God told him to do, except for a dude named Achan, who was like, check it out. Bar of silver. Nobody will miss this. And the story goes, and you can read it in Joshua chapter six and seven, where they began, they went out to battle and they lost and they said, what's going on? Isn't God with us? He promised he'd be with us. And they cast lots and they narrowed it down and it came to Achan and they're like, what's going on, bro? It's everything's pointing to you. You you know, we know you, you're, he's like, well, you know, I just kind of grabbed some gold. And the Bible says that they were dragged out into a valley and the family was stoned to death. I was like, man, that's harsh, God. You're like harsh. He was making an example because God's saying, there's gonna be a thousand other cities like this, but this one is mine. It's my first. It belongs to the Lord. And then finally, in Exodus chapter 23, 19, and Proverbs 3, 9, God talks about the first fruits. He says, the first of your flock, the first of your grain, the first of your fruit, the first of your increase, Now, why does the Bible talk about grain and fruit and this and that? Here's an interesting fact for you. Go back as far as you can in human history. Only in the last 100 years have we not had farmers. Right now, I believe it's something like 6% of the world are farmers, or I could be getting that wrong. It could be 6% of America is used for farming. It's just nothing. Where actually, if you go back 100 years and go back 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, 98% of the entire human race were farmers. So all of the language is in agriculture. It's in grain, it's in, and they were herdsmen, so it's in flocks. And so you could update this and say, bring forth the first fruits of your yen, of your real estate, of your, whatever you wanna put it in, whatever your stock and trade is, uh, that's what the Lord's talking about. He's talking in the language of that day. And so my question that I think everybody asks is, well, what in the world's the tithe, Pastor? Like, like this is kind of a funky thing. I just can't get over Pastor Dylan up there. Pastor Dylan, will you just stand up and just wave to the crowd? Could you just do that? It took a long time for Reuben to sketch him as he stood still there for hours, but it was, it was just, yeah. <laughs> well, in simple, it means a tenth. 
or 10%. Right up here, I have 10 oranges, or as we say in Spanish, naranjas, yeah? And so uh, there are 10, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. So if 10% is a tithe, what would be the tithe of these oranges, the first fruit of the orange? Uno, okay. The Lord says, give a tithe of the first fruit to the Lord. I put this over here last service. I, I just, I know what it is. I just like you people over here more. <laughs> just kidding. So that literally is it. And I look at this and I'm like, is God greedy? Is he really asking too much of us? Where he says, to set apart a tithe, a tenth to him to empower the work. Is he like greedy? I'm like, no, he's not. Look at this. To really understand this, we need to look at the scripture, not at my opinion, at scripture. The key verse here, I could have picked tons of them and I put a ton of them on the right-hand side and I encourage you to take that paper and read through those. But Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, listen to how it reads. The first of the first fruits of the land, oh, it's in King James. Thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord thy God. Um, the first of the first fruits. This, th that kind of is like, wait a second, I get the first fruits, like when fruit starts growing, you know, and, and it's just starting to be, he says the first of the first of the first fruits. Now there are tons of other verses we could look to, like Leviticus 27.30, it says, uh, and you can leave it on that, uh, that one there for a second, but it says, every tithe of the land, whether it's seed of the land or fruit of the tree, the Lord, it's holy to the Lord. And then they turn to herds and they say in Leviticus 27.32, and the Lord, uh, every tithe of the herd of the flocks, every tenth of an animal that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 14.22, you shall truly tithe all the increase of thy seed in the field and bring, that brings forth year by year. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament of two brothers, Cain and Abel. And a lot of people misinterpret this because Cain brings forth, he's a farmer, so he brings veggies, and then Abel is a herdsman, and so he offers up an animal to the Lord. And a lot of people say, well, the reason God accepted uh, Abel's sacrifices because it was a blood sacrifice and that's how we forgive. That's not what it's talking about. In fact, the Hebrew word here for their sacrifice is the same exact word. It's talking about a minka. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's using the same word. It's not talking about the differentiation between a, a, a grain or fruit sacrifice versus a blood sacrifice, but it reads like this in the course of time. See if you can catch why God would have rejected Cain's offering. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord regarded Abel's offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell down. Did you catch that? See, Abel is bringing the first of the first fruit of his flock, the best of the best of the first of the first. Abel is gathering together some scraps and saying, here you go, Lord. See, it's not just the offering. It's not just the 10th, but it's the first of the first fruits. Let me do it with this. I had so much fun with this first service. Help me out here. You ever see where gangsters are going like this? 
all right? So help me out here. There's, there's actually a, a, a meme on, online where it's got two rappers and then Obama's out there like flipping out $100 bills. But check this out. Ready? Count them off for me. I'm going to count off. These are dollars. They're just singles, so don't rush, the, don't rush the altar here. All right, ready? Count it. Ready? Holla for a dollar. All right, so we have $10 bills here. What is the tithe on $10? One, right, one dollar. Here's the part that's gonna stump you. Which one of those dollars is the tithe? According to scripture, not according, I'm not, I'm just reading through scripture here. I'm not talking about my opinion or anything like that. It's the first, the first of the first of the first fruit. Here's something that, there was a time in my life, listen, I, I, I told you this is an easy message because I've been practicing this in good and bad times and for decades of my life. When I started in ministry years ago, I was in Providence, Rhode Island, we were reaching out to, the, our goal was to give an adequate witness of Jesus to the 50,000 children under the age of 18 in the inner city of Providence, Rhode Island, and man, we made a huge dent in it. And while we did that, it required full-time work from me and so there was no money, and so I did that full time. Going into the projects, it was just, it was such an incredible thing to watch God move, but I had to work, and so while I worked, the only job I could get was preloading trucks at UPS part-time, and I was making $119 a week. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna honor you with the first of my first fruits. I wasn't even buying food at the store. I was eating food from a local food pantry, not too proud to not do that. I was eating food from food pantry. But the first thing I did was I honored the Lord with the first of my first fruit. And God was so faithful. And I'll talk about that in a little bit here, but I'm telling you really for the point of the first. It's the first that God says. I realize when I sit down and I write my mortgage and I write my electric bill and I write my debts, and I hold out on God, what I'm saying is, is, oh, I wanna satisfy the mortgage company because they're gonna take care of my problems. I wanna take care of my savings account and pay that because that's gonna really provide security for me. When you give a tithe to the Lord, what you're saying is, is Lord, I'm going to honor you with the first fruit of my life before I take care of anything else because you are my source, not money. You see, this is why so many of us struggle with the deceitfulness of riches and we lack so much peace is because we've put our faith in something of what it's not. Money cannot purchase you security, it's temporal. I, Billy Graham said it like this, my family has find the tr- found the truth that God can do more with nine that is blessed by God than 10 when we're on our own. And it's not about God needing your money. It's about, first of all, being able to put God in that proper place. In the New Testament, the only place where it says that there's a competitor for God, it says is greed, money, which is idolatry. It's not money that's evil, it's the love of money. It's, it's holding on to it and hedging it, like, oh, this is gonna make me happy, this is going to buy me security. And I said this once, but years ago, I had a friend of mine who walked up to me and said, hey, Paul, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you don't believe that Jesus fully satisfies in every area of your life. I said, man, Brandon, why, why do you say that? And he goes, well, I listen to you talk and you're like, man, I just, you know, God, 
just, will you just provide the right job? And then you're gonna get that job. And then you're like, Lord, would you just provide um, a, a, a wife? And then you're gonna get that wife. And Lord, would you just provide a home? And then you're gonna get that home. And Lord, would you just provide children? And then it's gonna be, Lord, will you just pay off that mortgage? And then you're gonna live your whole life and you're gonna look back and you're gonna say, you lived your life saying, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy if. And the whole time God wanted you to make him your source of joy by however little or much he gave you. I mean, that was a deeply convicting, correcting moment. But it's so true of so many of us. Maybe you struggle in those areas the way that I did. God is our hope. So looking at this, where is the tithe supposed to be given, okay? A lot of people, here's some questions that people say. They're like, hey, you know, um, I, I, I just bless, I just give as I see need and everything like that. Pastor Dylan makes a great point. We were having a conversation on this. He said, you know what? In the Old Testament, the Bible says, and this verse that we were looking at, if you could go back to it, it says, the first fruits of the Lord of the land shall bring into the house of the Lord. Here is the, t- listen, God encourages us to be generous. God encourages us to be um, charitable, but he says the tithe is his, it belongs to him, and it says bring it into the house of the Lord, that place of worship that you're a part of. Why? Because you may have an on day and you may have an off day. You may have an up day and you may have a down day. Sometimes we get, how many of you have ever given money to, some, I, I remember one time, let me frame a story here. I remember I was out there and somebody was sitting there and they were, they, they were just begging and they were hungry and they were like, hey man, you know, can you give me some food? And so my son and I went in and we got some Chinese food and we gave it to him and then they're like, hey, how about some money? And I was like, oh man, I don't have any, just debit card, you know. <laughs> they're gonna be, that's gonna be the next thing. People are gonna have debit cards for begging, right? Just run that card, boom, you know. But, but I watched somebody go over and they gave him some money and guess what they did? They went over across the street, they got themselves some liquor and they were just pounding booze. And like, now that's, that's one extreme example to this. But here's the thing, in the church, we, that we're, we're making a difference around the world. There are places that your, your dollars can't go sideways to people. We're sending to people in Saudi Arabia and the countries of Qatar where the gospel is not even being shared. And we're doing good here. We've got ministries like Divorce Care, Grief Share, Celebrate Recovery with the leader of that group who was playing the drums here. Rick was praying in mid-service and he was just weeping saying, Lord, thank you for the good that you're doing here, changing and impacting people's lives. Like, like, forget it, there's great things. Let me tell you what, this building, we're renovating it step by step. Our goal is before the next several months are out, we're gonna have new carpet, we're gonna have new chairs. Why? Because this carpet has been here for 30 years. We just upgraded rooms in back of us here for counseling where we have professional counselors uh, seeing about 10 people on an ongoing basis. We renovated those, we renovated the bathrooms. Little by little, we're upkeeping the sanctuary. How do we take care of that? We take care of that all completely by the generosity of God's people living in this truth. We can't pay the bills on hallelujahs, that's for sure. And here's the interesting thing, and Pastor Dylan, I gotta give him credit for this. He points this out. He said, you know what? It would be really great if we could trust people, but God knew that the the trust of his house, when the people would in the Old Testament lay it before the, the priests, but then in the New Testament, it says that they laid their offering before the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each person as there was need. There are needs that we understand. We preserve people's dignity. Uh, There are sometimes conditions and boundaries that are there so that we're helping empower people instead of enabling them. There are all kinds of things that are going on there. And that's just talking about the charitable needs. Now I'm not saying don't turn around and help somebody out when you see it, but talking about the truth of the first fruit, the tithe. God says it belongs to me. It belongs in the local church. 
so that the work of God can be accomplished. Now here's the, uh, and what do we do with all of that stuff? Um, We fund the ministries of the church, we renovate the building, we support missions, we support the ministers that are a part of this community. And what's amazing is is in 2 Kings 22, seven, it says this of, of the Old Testament priests, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. The apostles were honest in their dealings, but in this church in the 21st century, in God we trust, but everybody else we screen. I cannot just write blank checks. I, ca- I have a limit on how much I can spend. We have an account, a bookkeeper on site. We have an accountant, a CPA off site. We have a treasurer of the church board, and we bring a financial report to the church board each month, and every year we have an annual business meeting. Why? Because we want clarity, disclosure, and we want uh, accountability for this kind of thing. But it says about the, about the Old Testament priests, they didn't even need to do that. And I, I pray that we always have financial integrity and we've put the safeguards that are here. But some people say this, well, pastor, appreciate what you're saying, but your teaching is incomplete. Tithing is Old Testament law and the cross has abolished the law. Jesus has set us free from the law, amen. Let me, and I mean this with all my heart, how many of you are so glad Jesus has set you free from the law, right? Praise God, totally free from the law, right? So we're free from the law, right? Awesome, because some of you have really been annoying me, and now that I'm not under the law, I'm gonna kill you because I don't have to worry about you shall not kill anymore, right? Think about my logic here, I say it kind of jokingly, but I want you to track me here. Does it make sense for me to say that Jesus dying on the cross abolished the law, therefore it's everything from Malachi back to Genesis is completely, really technically irrelevant to my life. I have nothing that I need to live or do. No, that doesn't make sense. In fact, the Hebrew word for law here is Torah, which means it can be very, very broad. It not, it, Jesus died to set us free from the law, how? That we no longer have to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of animals, but through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that he was a sacrifice that was offered once for all, amen. I don't need to relive the death of Jesus every week and re-punish myself and re-shame myself. Jesus has set me free, grace is amazing. I may not be who I ought to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be, and I am so grateful for the cross, and I will be falling at the feet of Jesus for all eternity, and the Bible says that the 24 elders and you and I for all the good things that we did may may shape a crown. We'll be taking that off and laying it at Jesus' feet. Nobody's gonna be in heaven strutting saying, I deserve to be here. I'm so great. No, we're gonna be throwing, we're gonna be on our faces saying hallelujah to the lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. For that aspect of the law, absolutely not. Now, I've got a verse I wanna read to you. All of my Hebrew friends in Israel and the ones that I have in the United States catch this every time. The Christians miss this. Two verses in particular, but let me start with the first one. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Jesus turns to a group and he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now here's the thing about how that works. The way that that properly interprets means that Jesus has not come to abolish them. In fact, he goes on and he says, not the smallest mark of the pen or the broadest one, but he says, I am here not only to fulfill it once and done, but I'm here, it literally means to sustain through proper interpretation. I'm gonna help you understand that you're not saved by works, 
But every work that you do to honor God by not lying, by not stealing, by not murdering, by not adulterating, is a thank you card to Jesus saying, Lord, I don't deserve this, but you're good. And I wanna live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. And I may fail you from time to time, but Lord, here's my thank you note. This is how I came to Jesus. There was a group that came to my church from a Bible college and they, they gave this big speech and they said, if you're here and you feel the call of God to vocational ministry, we invite you to come forward to receive the anointing. I didn't know anything they were saying. I was just like, what, huh? I don't know. All I did and I dropped to my knees and this is my prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know anything they're talking about. All I know is this, I owe you. You can call on that debt for the rest of my life and I will deliver because I am so grateful for what you've done. Listen, we don't uphold the law because we're trying to earn our way to heaven, but God's law is righteous. The law of the Lord is perfect and we uphold God's truth and God's morality because it is right. And Jesus said, I'm not getting rid of all that. I'm redefining the boundaries, but I'm gonna help you to walk this thing out and I'm gonna grace you when you trip and fall. We're freed from our penalty to fulfill the law through love and grace. So what do we learn, okay? Just talking about, well, pastor, it's an Old Testament uh, verse that, you know, the law is, in, is, is done away with. It's in the Old Testament. It's not relevant. Well, here's one for you. And this is a really interesting example. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, it says, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, Lord Almighty, Adonai, is how you say that. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, let's get out of the Old Testament, let's get into the New Testament in Hebrews chapter seven. He is commended to us as an example and says, see, in chapter seven, verse four through five of Hebrews, see how great this man was to whom Abram, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. Listen, this is tithing before the law ever came. This is before Moses, this is Abraham. In fact, the Bible in the New Testament says, you're not saved according to the law of Moses. Through the law of Moses came that, but he gives not an example to the New Testament, not to Jesus. He goes back to Abraham and he says, for we are the children of Abraham, because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God says to him, Abraham, this is what I wanna do with your life. He doesn't look and say, can I save up enough? Can I be good enough? Can I do enough? Can I earn enough? No, he just opens his hand and he says, oh God, I don't know how it could ever happen. I know I can never do it. But if you say it, I believe it. Yes, Lord, I trust you. God said, you're righteous. Before there was a law, this truth was already enacting. Melchizedek, the Bible says, is a priest, not like Aaron connected to the law, but he is this individual that Jesus is like unto him. And what's amazing, let me just tell you something, those of you that are parents and grandparents, your behavior becomes your legacy and you pass that to your children and your children's children. Your grandchildren will be doing things that your children watched you do, whether good or not good. And this is a beautiful passage. Jacob, when he is running away, this is the grandson of Abraham, and he goes to sleep in a place that's called Bethel, the house of God, Bethel, the house of God. And it says this, that Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me 
In this way I will go, and I will give him bre- if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And listen to what he says. And of all that you gave me, I will give you a tenth. That's Abraham's example in here. Now, I don't fully approve of Jacob's theology because he's saying, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do that. You see, we don't give to get. We give because God said to give and we give because God led with an example because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, listen, I have had it up to here with leaders that say, this is what we're gonna do, and they send me out like a shield and a pawn, and they let me take the hit. You know what Jesus does? He says, get behind me, let me lead by example. I'm going first. I'm gonna go before you. And God anteed up in this. Now, as I was preparing this message, every time I do this, I don't know if it's for first, second service, for one person, many, but I felt like God impressed something in my heart regarding this passage that this has something to do with someone here, and this is what I kind of felt like the words more or less are here. I'm not like rewriting the Bible here. I'm just speaking what I feel God's put in my heart. So some of you made a vow to God at one moment in your life. Some of you once depended on God completely and sought him to be with you and to keep you. He was your source. He was your center. You not only sought him for bread and clothing, but joy and victory, but you've lost sight of who truly provides it for you. You vowed, God, I'll tithe, I'll be generous, I'll trust you, I'll serve you, I'll worship you, but you've forgotten your vow, but he hasn't. He hasn't. I had a friend that struggled one time with tithing and, and we would talk a bit and he's like, ah, I don't know, Paul. And you know, I, I don't push this on anyone, I'm not pushing this on you, I'm just sharing here today, you know? But, uh, he was like, I don't know. And then the next Sunday, he shows up at church, and he's, this is at North Providence Assembly of God, and he's got this attitude in his face, and he's looking at me, and he makes sure he gets my attention when the plate's going by, and he goes, watch this. Throws it in there. I'm like, bro, what's, what's your problem? Like, what's, what's up, man, you know? Like, God loves a cheerful giver. You are definitely not in that zone right now. Um, and he goes, just want you to know, after we talked about that, I went out, and I got pulled over, and I got a ticket, and it was the exact amount that I was supposed to tithe. Stop praying for me. I'm like, bro, I didn't pray anything. I'm just saying like God has a way of just like getting your attention. Sounds like he's trying to get it and uh, looks like he's got it. And so, but listen, I've seen the opposite of this happen all the time. You know, it was amazing. Just recently we had a moment where somebody just came up to us and gave us $100 and we were like, man, thank you, Jesus. Very helpful. And we said, you know what? We, we're gonna tithe on that. We gave $10 back and then all of a sudden we were walking out and somebody gave us a card and guess what was inside the envelope? Another $100. So we said, man, let's keep doing this. <laughs> you know, It didn't work like that, but I'm just saying that, listen, when you put God first, when you give him the first fruit and you honor him with the first fruit of, of your increase, that God has this way of taking care of your needs. And let me tell you what, I, there, there are, there's two things that you need to keep in perspective because some of us are like, well, I know a lot of rich people that totally aren't, you know, worried about anything or whatever. The Bible says that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account. Listen, sometimes 
God is on the front end with this thing and sometimes it's on the back end of this thing, but he is a perfect accountant and he understands this. Now listen, we're not talking about legalism here, like God isn't gonna love you if you don't do this or that God's gonna strike you dead if you don't do this, but like you do this for the right reasons. It's saying, God, I'm putting you first. I wanna honor you. By doing this, I say that I'm not trusting in these things. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting for you to be my God, to provide, and I will just do whatever you do. And then people come along and they say this, well, all right, I get the law part, but maybe tithing isn't mentioned in the New Testament, Pastor Paul. It's not mentioned. It's grace giving. That's the new tag now. It's grace giving in the New Testament, right? Well, first of all, if you read the grace giving that those people did, they gave everything, and I ain't seen nobody doing that ever, okay? So you're not as generous as you think you are. So when God says a tenth, I'm like, hey, buddy, it's all yours. And we believe, if you look at the envelopes that we have in the pews there, we have this thing where it's broken down. It says tithes and offerings, and then it says beyond the tithe. Because we don't just, we believe that, first of all, that first tenth belongs to God. It's not even ours anyway. So we give it to him. We redeem the rest. We trust him for that. But then sometimes God moves on our heart and we're like, man, I want to see Jesus's fame and name get around the world. I'm giving to missions and we've made pledges. And thank God for so many of you who are faithful. We raised $125,000 in pledges towards missions worldwide. We continue to send people to places where nobody is going to share Jesus, supporting missionaries and ministries. And we're going to keep doing that and reach and further and watching God bless greater, but tithing's not in, mentioned in the New Testament, Pastor Paul. Well, actually it is. This is another verse my Jewish friends get all the time. They're like, I vey, Paul, I get it. I, I see, I see, you know, I get it. Yada, yada, yada. You ever hear people say that? Yada uh, means to know, but not just to know, to know through experience. It says this in Matthew 23. Verse 23, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. What's interesting is, is this five, Jesus gives five punches to the face of five different types of Pharisees, but he's actually quoting the writings of the Pharisees themselves. They actually mention seven of the Pharisees. Five of them are negative, two of them are positive, but the first one that Jesus goes in on is these people that seem to get it right with the technical issues of scripture, but the, the heart issues, they're off. And he says, woe to you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now listen to this. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Jesus is saying, it's awesome that you're tithing. He affirms tithing. It's awesome that you're tithing. But you got a problem here. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That gift is not what buys your way to heaven. Your heart needs to be right along with this. But I watch in the church, so many people, genuine deep love, genuine, genuine deep justice, mercy, and forgiveness. But I think Jesus would flip it and say, you should have done that without neglecting the other. Luke 19, verses two through nine is the story of Zacchaeus. I love that story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Any of you grew up in church long enough to know that song? If not, you're like, you are just like so old, Pastor Paul. Here's this midget man tax collector. He's totally ripped everybody off and then Jesus comes to town and he says, hey, Shorty Rock, get down from that tree. I'm gonna eat at your house. And he brings him to his house and he, while he's there, he is so moved. You can't be in the presence of Jesus and not be impacted. You just can't. And he's just so moved by Jesus and he's like, Lord, I want you to know 
everyone who I've defrauded, I've paid them back. I've totally got my finances right. I've paid somebody like 10 times the amount. He talks about how he's just thrown out and totally turned over a new leaf and he put his money where his mouth is. And Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. Since, look at this, interestingly enough, he also is a son of who? Abraham. Abraham. Now, he's not saved through his generosity, but it's an expression of where his heart's at. I really believe that this is reflective of a heart issue and a trust issue with God. 1 Corinthians 16.2, this is Pastor Dylan's verse, so if it's being quoted out of context, Bible college professors, just uh, blame him, but I'm just gonna quote him on it. It says this, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I had a young teenager come up to me in between first and second service and said, Pastor Paul, I've got 100 guppies. I'm like, oh, how cute. In your pocket? (laughs) Um, I'm gonna sell them so that I can get money to go to summer camp. And I go, oh, sweetheart. How I wish that we would never have to have kids selling things doing car washes, that we never have to do special offerings. When I came here, I said to the board, I said, we are not gonna take special offerings. We are going to allow tithes and the rhythm of people making offerings to missions and the generosity of the people do the work. We're not gonna say, hey, we need this, we need that, we need this, we're not gonna put names to it. And, and we all prayed together and we affirmed that and for three years we've consistently done that, but man, If we all walked in obedience with this truth that I'm talking about today, this entire room would be completely renovated. We would be doubling our impact around the world. We would be tripling our impact in this area. We would be able to make a huge difference because of God's people falling in love and falling in line with God's truth of honoring him with the first of the first fruits. Some say we're not called to tithe. You know, we're called to be generous. Well, I can totally see that in the book of Acts. You got Barnabas. Barnabas has a house in chapter four at the end of the chapter four and it says that he sold it and he laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And then right after that in chapter five, two people come in, Ananias and Sapphira, and they weren't really worried about doing that. They were more worried about image. And the Bible says they, co- they said, hey, we're gonna sell some property, but we're gonna say we sold it for this, but we're really gonna give that. Like as if God's like, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason, like the Lord, they come in and the Lord strikes them dead. You know, sometimes God does this extreme example. You guys remember that song? Ananias and Sapphira tried to cheat the Lord and they both fell dead. God loves cheerful giver, give it all you got. I mean, I'm flashback to kids church here, but, but like, I look at that and I say to myself, man, we could have been reading about the partners of the Apostle Paul being Barnabas, Ananias, and Sapphira, but we will never read that story because they were more worried about the appearance rather than the incarnation of the truth in their heart and in their life and in their practice when nobody was looking. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, see that you excel in the grace of giving. And listen, at the end of the day, it all belongs to God. Man, the incredible, profound truth. Jesus is at the temple and people are pouring money in to the church and, and there's all kinds of checks and bills and gold and silver flying around. And then all of a sudden, this old widow comes in and just goes, tink, tink, there's two pennies. And Jesus, could you do it again here? Okay, thank you. 
I don't know how to whistle like that. He says, hey, he says to his disciples, see that old woman? She put in more than everybody else here. And the disciples are like, and all the people who do math are like, hey, I do the math, that just doesn't add up, right? Two pennies, like that guy was like throwing. So because she gave out of her knee, everyone gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had. Think about the rich young ruler. Guy comes up to him, looks like we could have had a 13th apostle here. He goes, hey, master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, you know the law. You've grown up in church your whole life. You tell me, well, you love the Lord with all your hearts on you. And he goes through the whole list and he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and follow me. This man actually, if you read it in the original language, he had many properties. And he said to him, now listen, I'm not preaching or telling anyone here. What I'm saying is, is if you have multiple properties, you need to sell it and give it to church. That's what I'm saying. This is what Jesus did. Jesus raised the bar to make a statement to this young man because the truth was is that there's nobody that keeps the law completely. And his problem was that money was his God. Money was his source. And Jesus said, you can sell everything, give it to the poor. Then after you've done that, follow me. And the Bible says that he walked away sad. I wonder what that story would have looked like if he had taken Jesus up on that dare. I wonder what it would be like if we could have had a camera that followed that widow, not only for the rest of her life, but to that moment when she entered into eternity for a life that was yielded fully and wholly to God. I wonder what God will write in heaven about you and me. And ask the worship team to come up and I wanna close off with this final thought here. This is a verse I really just don't always run to because it's the classic hammer that ministers use to guilt and shame everybody for tithing. We're not talking about guilting and shaming people here for tithing. We're talking about what God says is right and proper. And he asks us to obey it. Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 12 reads like this. Will a mere mortal rob God. Yet you rob me. This is God talking to them. Well, mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. And the people are hurt. They're like, Lord, what are you, what are you talking about? You know that I love you. You know that I've grown up in church my whole life. You know, you know how hard it is for me. And well, that really hurts my feelings. Why would you say that? How have I robbed you? He says it like this. You ask, how have we been robbing you? God says, in tithes and offerings. He didn't just say tithes. He said in tithes and offerings. This, this belongs to God. That sanctifies that. That's not even talking about giving beyond that as God moves on your heart. And there are some incredibly generous people in this church. And we've been able to change the world because of that. He says this, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Listen, all over the Bible, Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that comes out of the commandments of the Lord. This is the only place, and I've read through the Bible in a year, many, many years. Nowhere else does it say, God says, put me to the test. God says, test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. How many of you worked real hard to save up a bunch and then all of a sudden the bills multiplied? The, what you had wasn't good enough. The interest rate increases. And, and we put our faith in paying the bills and getting out of debt and doing all these kind of things. Instead, in the whole time, we don't even realize that we're not acknowledging God as Lord of our life in these areas. If you, I will present the pest from devouring your crops and the vines of your field. They will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Imagine if you had a friend, and every time you guys went out to eat, every week on Fridays, but each time you went out, they just said, I don't pay, I just do dishes. Sooner or later, that person is not going to be welcomed back in that restaurant, right? Now, I'm not talking about this as like you're not welcome in the house of God, but think about how we come and we dine and we feed in the presence of God in a church like this. And, and, and I've seen it through years, and I'm not even looking at the details here. People that they, they're fed consistently at the house of God, and they, they give nothing. My friend... Indirectly, a friend of a friend who knows him personally, there's this guy, Nelson Searcy, and he talks about how he had Skittles once, and he gave them to his nephew, and his nephew's like, thank you, Uncle Searcy. And he just starts mowing him. You know where kids are mowing him, and you got like the rainbow colors and drool dripping all over their face. Some of you got kids that just came out of that stage, and they're just like nasty. And, and as he's mowing him, he says, hey, Billy, give me just one candy. Can I have just one? He looks at me and goes, Uncle, I only have one packet. And he's thinking to himself, you miserable little kid. I could just totally eat that whole pack in front of you. I did this once joking with my son, Andrew. But think about God. Everything he's blessed you with. And he says, am I greedy? Am I really just trying to take from you? Listen, church is making a difference. It costs to do all the stuff here. There are people, I, Matt, Matt Lemos, who consistently works with over 25 teenagers, has given countless hours to working with your teenagers, has never taken a penny from this church, nor could we ever hire him. Is that not worthy? close with this thought. When I first came to Jesus, I was about a week into it. I was so grateful God set me free. I was set free of potentially looking at years of prison time. And I was, I was just never so ripe and so right with God. It was just such an awesome, incredible moment. And then all of a sudden my pastor, his name was Russell Joyce. He pulled me aside and he said, Hey Paul, has anyone ever talked to you about tithing? Because yeah, the Lord doesn't want to be just Lord of your sin and Lord of your shame and Lord of your dreams. He wants to be Lord of your finances. And you know, there's just days where you're going to need his help. And he said it to me like this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Paul, God has his paydays. They don't always fall on Friday, but he knows how to take care of his children. And if you will trust him, you may not have as much as you might want or think, but man, he will always make sure that he is sufficient and he is enough because if he's God and you honor him in that way, he'll take care of you. You see... It might be hard to give your faith to Jesus, but I'll tell you what, man, what we're talking about here, this is seriously 
a serious trust move to be able to say, Lord, I'm not just going to honor you with a tenth. God didn't say to Abraham, hey, wait until you have ten kids and then offer me up one. He said, I want that first. I want it. Nobody will ever see or know what you do, but God does. I do this in my life because I owe him. And I know what he does with that. I've dedicated my life to it. I've sent friends around the world who've disappeared into obscurity and could have been famous and wealthy and they're doing incredible things and in eternity they will be superheroes. But if I want to sanctify this, if I want to hold on to this, I need to honor God with that. You can call it New Testament grace giving. You can do whatever you want with it. The Bible says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. I'd love if we would stand across this room and we're going to pray a prayer of faith. Some of you are like, Pastor, this is old news for me. I, I walk this out in my life all the time. We're so grateful for that. But some of you, this idea of this terrifies you. And if I could just say it from somebody that was there one time looking at it, I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Like, that's just like, you don't understand my debt. You don't understand, like, like I trust the church and you guys are doing great things, and, but, but you just don't understand my situation. This isn't about money. This isn't about any of that kind of stuff. This is about saying, God, you're first in my life. Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor Paul. I serve at the church. That's my tithe. Nope, that's not what God calls your tithe. You don't understand, Pastor Paul. I just help people all the time. Nope, that's not what the Lord does. The Lord says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Bring it into the storehouse of the Lord. And watch what God does with it in this community. Father, right now there are some people standing on the edge. This is a scary thing. But you're the God that sees what's done in secret. And you reward your people openly. Father, I pray for those that are able and willing to take that step to honor you. That they would begin to honor you with their wealth, with the first fruits. That they would redeem what little they have left and you would multiply it. God, you took fishes and loaves and you fed 5,000. You could totally take the little of $119 a week and multiply it into countless blessing. And I want you to look up real quick as we close here. I have in my hand my first Bible. Before I even gave my life to Christ, my mom said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, a Bible. I was looking at potential prison time. I didn't know what in the world to do. And if you open up inside my Bible, after that pastor said, Paul, trust God in this area of your life. I said, I don't know, pastor. It doesn't feel good to me, but I trust you with all this other stuff. I'm just going to do it. And as I faithfully gave to God $2,500 to go to Israel, $12,000 for a new car, $250 for a dentist bill, $100 for a dentist bill, $5,000 for braces, $300 from First Assembly, $500 from this person, $1,000 from that person, $1,000 from that person, uh, a home that we couldn't find one under a quarter of a million dollars in the state of Rhode Island purchased for $75,000. $2,500 for our wedding. A wedding ring that I couldn't afford, an engagement ring for my wife. You see, I don't just talk about this and I'm not just speaking this to you. I've lived it. And God said, test me in this and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven. When you put God first in this area, we're not talking about obedience and law. We're talking about love and watching God multiply it. You can trust him. Test him in this and see if he will not open up the windows of heaven for you, for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
give us our own stories in this church of how you turned our situation around, not because we made more money, not because we paid off debt, but because we honored you with the first fruit. And in return, not only was your kingdom built, but you blessed your people, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We give you all the glory and the honor and praise. In Jesus' name. As we go, we're going to sing this song. Love you. You probably won't hear this for at least another year or two. It's over with. Everybody just turn to your neighbor and say, thank goodness, huh? God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful week in the grace of God. Jesus, we love you.